0: Uh, We're on a journey together, and like all good road trips, it takes a lot of preparation. There's an intentional destination in mind, and there's a lot of experiences and activity along the way. Uh, The journey that we're on together as a congregation is to learn how to abide. and We've been discovering what it means to abide by looking at the life of Jesus and kind of listening into a conversation he had with his 12 disciples in the upper room. It was actually the night before he was crucified. And in that moment, it was recorded by John in John 15. You can turn there in your Bible that you brought this morning, or if you want to use the one in the seat back in front of you, we see Jesus at many times in his life and in many different ways model for us what it looks like to have an endearing intimacy with God, to love others sincerely, and also to engage in the mission that God gave him we see him reveal that in all different ways and so we've been working on this definition about what it means to abide and that definition is that abide means to nurture an endearing relationship intimacy with Jesus to foster a sincere love for others and to join or engage in God's mission and that's taken from Jesus words found in John 15 Jesus said these words in verse 5 he says i'm the vine and you are the branches. If a person abides in me and I in them, they'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Today we want to look a little bit more at what Jesus means uh, when he says abide in. We see these three movements there. These three movements are not optional. They're not passive either, but they're active and they're transformative as we pursue uh, living and loving like Jesus. Look at the first one. Let's go to that definition. Jesus says, uh, we're, we're learning what it means to nurture an endearing relationship, intimacy with God. It's about being with God by engaging in his word, by learning his heart, his character, by learning his ways and his will in the world as well as for our lives. It's about seeing fruit produced in our life. And that fruit is produced by the Holy Spirit and it reflects the character of Jesus. It's the fruit of righteousness. Fostering a sincere love for others, it comes by investing in intentional relationships. And Jesus loved people really well. He was vulnerable to others, and he asked them to be vulnerable with him for the purpose of growing. And we need to be vulnerable, we need to be intentional in our relationships if we want to grow to be like Jesus. God has given us a perfect example to follow in how to love others, and that was the way he loved us. And that love expands past our own needs, or our own comforts, comforts into the lives of others. We've shared over the past couple weeks just some very practical action steps. We can all take some resources that are available for us to nurture this enduring intimacy with God, to foster a sincere love for others. And I hope that if you haven't been here the last three weeks, that you'll take the time to go to the Abide page that we've created and just listen back to some of the messages from the past couple weeks as myself and several of my teammates have, have tried to unpack what it looks like to abide. We've told you for several months now that this is our focus for the entire year, And so I hope by now, you're beginning to just kind of get a picture of what it looks like to mean to abide. I hope by now, you're already beginning to abide in a deeper, more meaningful way. Today, we want to look at this third movement, engaging in God's mission. And I'd like for us just to read from the Gospel of John, John 15. And we'll start with verse 5 and just continue all the way down through verse 17. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen. This is Jesus talking, and he says this. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain or abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not abide in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples verse 9, Jesus says this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend." You are my friends if you do what I command, Jesus says. Verse 15, Jesus says this, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that i learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, Jesus said, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. From Jesus' words, as well as his actions, we see a full picture of what it means to abide. Jesus was intentional about developing, nurturing intimacy with his Father. He knew God's word and he knew how to apply it to his own life, but also to the world around him. He engaged in meaningful conversation with God through prayer. And Jesus was known for how he loved others. He was compassionate, he was merciful, He was kind, he was honest, he was engaged, he was humble, focused, he was vulnerable in his interactions with others. And Jesus was laser focused on the mission that God had given him. This mission he had received from God is referred to in John 15 in this section as laying down his life for his friends. We can learn a lot from Jesus about how to abide. He is very clear that part of his mission here on earth was to serve as an example, but also to equip us or to teach us how to abide. Jesus says, everything that I've learned from my father, I have shared with you. Now, he says in this moment, friends, he, call, or he calls them a different word. There's a progression that we begin to see in the way that Jesus relates with his disciples. In verse 15, he says, I don't call you slaves, but I call you friends. And he mentions some conditions, some qualifications of this newfound relationship that he's offering to them. He says, friends lay down their life for each other. Now the disciples were gonna see this play out in the next 24 hours. And I don't think they would fully realize it until after his resurrection. But in this moment, he says, this is how friends behave. This is how friends interact. This is how friends treat each other. Friends are not slaves, he says, and he distinguishes between the two. He said slaves, they obey out of obligation. Friends still obey or respond to instruction, but they do so motivated by love. He says a friend has a different level of relationship with the person who is passing out the instructions. As I said, a slave, they just obey because they have to, but a friend, it's because they want to. Christy and I received some really helpful parenting advice when our kids were little. They said, you should always, when giving instruction or providing discipline, provide the moral reason why or the biblical reason why. They said, if you're giving your kid an instruction, you should be able to trace it back to God's word and be able to speak to why that instruction or why that rule is important. If you can't, you might second guess yourself or think about the rule or the law a little bit more also when discipline your children. If you can point them back to God's word, it speaks to the foundation as well as the authority of God's word in their life. It grounds your parenting in God's word. Let me just speak forth, right? It doesn't automatically produce obedience, okay? But it does limit the frustration and a little bit of this like, where do I start? How do I do this? The kid didn't come with instruction manual, right? It equips the parent and lessens their frustration but I've also seen that in the eyes of my children. It it comes from compassion. It comes from love, and it demonstrates both of those. As I said, it doesn't make obedience uh, automatic, but this relationship involved, it provides motivation. Jesus told his disciples, you're my friends. I've chosen you. I want to share with you all that my father has told me, You know the heart of my Father, so I'm encouraging you. I want you. I'm instructing you to obey. Now, this isn't the first time in the Bible where we've seen this correlation between relationship and obedience. In the Old Testament, God established a covenant relationship with this guy named Abraham, and it was for a purpose. God says, I want to bless you so that you will bless all nations or all nations will be blessed through you. God told Abraham that he was going to give him as many descendants as the stars in the sky or the sand on the shore. And at this point, when God made this promise to Abraham, he had this many children, zero. But then God, in a miraculous way, provided the first descendant, this guy named Isaac, right? And almost before he was even matured, God says, hey, I want you to take that one descendant, that only descendant you have, I want you to go to a place called Moriah, a mountain, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. And Abraham had to scratch his head, like, all right, this doesn't compute, God. How am I gonna have that many descendants if you're going to ask me to kill the very first one, right? Abraham didn't understand why, but because of the relationship, he obeyed. He said, hey, son, let's go on a road trip. And so he took some wood, he took fire, which... Wasn't probably a bit lighter. It's probably like some type of little torch. He took a knife and he took his son and he went all the way up to Mount Moriah. And along the way, Isaac said to his dad, um, "Did you forget something? Have your kids ever asked you that on a road trip? Right? It's like, uh, did you forget something? Where's the sacrifice?" And Abraham responded, "The Lord will provide." And he did. Abraham took his son. He built an altar, he bound his son, he laid his son on the altar and he raised the knife. And it was in that very moment, that split second moment, that God provided a ram instead of Isaac as a sacrifice. We see a lot of things from that account in scripture, but what we see is this correlation between this covenant relationship and obedience. Because Abraham obeyed, God called him friend. Again, he didn't fully understand why God was asking this of him, but he trusted God because of the covenant relationship that God had established with him. It was later in the New Testament that James picks up on this and he writes about it. He says this, Scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Because Abraham's faith and friendship with God, he obeyed God's instruction. Love and obedience are inseparable. Faith and action are the same, inseparable. They stem from relationship. In verse 16, Jesus makes a very powerful statement again to his disciples and he says this, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Now in the ancient world, that was backwards. A person who wanted to learn from someone would approach the rabbi or teacher and say, I wanna follow you, I wanna learn from you. That was what was common. But Jesus says, you didn't come to me, I came to you. In fact, the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record a lot of the moments where Jesus approached these men who he was talking to in the upper room. And it records how he invited them. We have specific invitations to Peter and Andrew, James and John, Matthew, Nathaniel, Philip. The rest of the gang included Bartholomew and Thomas, James Simon of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. He spent time with these 12 men. He, He was having a relationship with them. He taught them how to understand God's word. He taught them how to pray. He demonstrated what love looked like and then commanded them to show that same love to others. He told them often why he had chosen them. It was to bear fruit. What is that fruit? Well, that fruit comes first in the way that Jesus lived and the way that he loved. It's seeing his character produced in us. That's why Jesus says, if you remain in me, I'll remain in you. If you look to me as the example, you're gonna emulate the way that I live and the way that I love. The Holy Spirit is the one who's responsible for producing that fruit in us. Our responsibility is to stay connected to the vine so that that fruit is produced in us. Jesus says, I've chosen you and I've appointed you. I've set you apart. It's interesting that you can look at the Greek, the original language, and see the same root word for that set apart to be equal to what Jesus is saying when he says, I'm gonna lay down my life for you. Now that's intriguing and challenging, right? Jesus is saying, my mission is your mission. You are to receive the love that God has given to you, and you're to respond in love with obedience to him. You should share this sacrificial love that you've received with God, from God, with the world around you, so that the world will choose to love and obey God. They were chosen to do God's will by loving other people and telling them about Jesus' ability to save them from their sins. They were chosen as well as commissioned for this mission. And Paul understood that same commission. He understood why God had chosen him and appointed him as a herald is the word he uses, uh, someone who speaks about this good news. God loves us. He's made a way for us to be reconciled back to him, Paul says, and then he's appointed us as ambassadors to describe and to represent this new relationship that comes with a new set of responsibilities. Listen to Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter five. Paul speaking, he says, to us, so now I, I don't regard anyone from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ this way, we do so no longer. If anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. Paul knew that in his own life. He knew that about all of us who come to saving faith in Christ. He says, the old is gone, thank goodness, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He goes on to say this. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We're therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, Paul says, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That speaks to the mission and the fruit, that God loved us and he made us his friends so that we can help others be reconciled to him. His love compels us and implores us to implore others to receive his love. The fruit that is produced in us, the character of Christ, Result in the glory of God being revealed through us to the world so that all people will come to know God and his love for them. The fruit in us produces fruit in others. And the evidence of abiding is fruit in our lives as well as the fruit that we see in the lives of others. Pastor and author, Josh Redberg, who's part of the Gospel Coalition, he writes this. True disciples bear fruit, no fruit, No disciple. If Jesus has taken up residence inside you, he says, you'll be different. You will act differently. You will love differently. You will live differently. The difference is not due to your strength, your effort, or your zeal. The difference is due to the persistent work of Jesus in you. Jesus is alive, powerful, and actively at work in his disciples. An apple tree bears apples. A peach tree bears peaches. And a follower of Jesus Christ loves, prays, and obeys Jesus. Each of us have been created for God's glory. We've been saved for this same purpose. When you and I live and love like Jesus, we reveal God's glory to the world around us. We live or engage in his mission. And learning to abide means learning how to fulfill this purpose and engage in this mission. And we wanna help come alongside you to do just that. This moment, I'm gonna invite Mark Whited, who's our executive director of mobilization and owner of this objective of how we can engage in God's mission to give us some practical ways that you and I can do just that. Would you welcome him?
1: Well, if you were having a cup of coffee with a friend and in the midst of conversation, that friend said, what is the purpose in your life? That's a great question, might cause us to ponder a little bit, but it's a question that we all need to consider in every season of our lives, because whatever, the, the, whatever our purpose is, that's how we're making like major decisions and priorities with, within us. And so our purpose in life can be signi- you know, significantly reformed and reexamined along our lives as we kind of go through different seasons in our lives. And so with that then, as we now are kind of focusing on this, you know, how to, how to grow in abiding with God, this is a great time for us to like, uh, you know, to, to, to grow in and, and then ask God those questions regarding our purpose and our priorities. And so, so as Phil mentioned earlier, we want to flourish in new ways in our abiding with God as we you know, through nurturing, enduring intimacy with God, through fostering sincere love with others, and then also then engaging in God's mission. Now, Phil previously unpacked a few moments ago from John 15, when Jesus told his disciples, I have chosen you and appointed you to bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so, you know, that is possible because we are, God's daughters and sons through what Christ did on the cross and resurrection. And that is possible because we now have his spirit living within us to empower us. Then, as we then keep in step with God in living out our lives and bearing fruit then along the way by his power. And so one of the things that Jesus did was he taught his disciples how to pray. And one of those kind of famous prayers or what we often call the Lord's Prayer I want to focus on a phrase from there just for a few moments. It's the phrase, Father, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Strong words. But the reality is, is that Jesus equips us to bring heaven to earth. Think about that. What an honor that is. And so, as we then live out this abiding, as we live out then this walk with this, in keeping in step with the Spirit of God, this is what happens. So, with that, then, I want to tell you about a few stories. So, let me tell you about 25 people from Crossroads who are bringing heaven to earth as they personally come alongside nine teachers at Glenwood Leadership Academy on the south side of Evansville. And they are basically adopting a classroom, adopting a teacher, and filling in the gaps um, um, in in, in this environment to help the teacher thrive better and their students to thrive better by doing simple tasks that many of us could do. Let me tell you about Susan, who's a young woman at the, the, who was a physical therapy student at the University of Evansville a number of years ago. And she's now bringing heaven to earth as she is living and sharing the good news of Jesus in phenomenal ways in a country that is 99.99% Muslim. Let me tell you about the 75 people from Crossroads who are bringing heaven to earth as they serve on a spectrum of leadership teams within our local engagement group, our global engagement, and within missional living. And they are on the front lines of engaging with our mission partners locally and globally, as well as various people throughout the community and around the world. And we have open seats on those t- at those groups and those tables. And you don't have to be experts to join them, but just be willing to learn, willing to, to step into some things. Now lastly, let me tell you about Kent. He's a civil engineer, and he's now bringing heaven to earth. Because for years, he wrestled with, you know, thinking that he needed to be on the staff of a church, or he needed to work for a nonprofit ministry to be doing God's work. But then, through a fresh understanding of God's word and God's view of work within Scripture, he is now thriving in seeing that his engineering work is as working unto the Lord. And he's doing God-glorifying work within his industry. And the beautiful thing is, is that, and that can be the case for all of us, no matter what work we are doing, whether it's a stay-at-home mom, or we're getting a paycheck, or whatever it is in whatever field it may be. And then also let me tell you about something I'm excited about. In the end of this service today, uh, there's going to be four baptisms happening at the end of the service And that's going to paint another beautiful picture of bringing heaven to earth. So partnering with Jesus and bringing heaven to earth is the role, exciting role for everyday people, not special, special people, everyday people throughout the whole body of Christ. So who could have imagined when Jesus was having that conversation with those ragtag group of disciples in the upper room that John 15 is all talking about? Who would have ever imagined the fruit that would be born in the coming centuries? This small group of Jesus followers, they grew to be about 50% of the Roman Empire's population in 300 years. That growth happened when it was a treasonous for them to proclaim and live out that Jesus Christ was Lord, not the emperor. Bringing heaven to earth happened by everyone living out, being sent by Jesus. They proclaimed the reality of Jesus, that he was the best news in the universe. Their lives demonstrated that Jesus and and his power and love has set them free from their guilt, from their shame, and from their fear, because Jesus is greater than our guilt and our shame And our fear. And lives were transformed by Jesus. These Christians, they shocked the people around them because they valued and cared for people who were not like them. Or the people who they would have been previously have been considered their enemies. But you know, Jesus says something about that, didn't he? Love, value your enemies. They frequently went to the outskirts of town at night to rescue infants, often often baby girls, who were abandoned there to die or to be snatched away by traffickers. They intentionally cared for the poor, even though they were far from wealthy. They also cared for the sick and dying, a stark contrast to the prevailing majority culture around them. So these Christians in the early church, they were far from perfect but they were letting Jesus transform them more and more in his his likeness as they engaged in God's mission. So this is our heritage. This is whose shoulders we are standing upon. So we have much to learn from the early church, as well as the growing dynamic churches around the world today in, in parts of Asia, Parts of Latin America and Africa, amazing, phenomenal things are happening. But these are everyday people who are living out the fullness of their setness in Jesus. Now, when we hear talking like about this, you know, it may be easy for us to kind of simply disqualify ourselves, thinking like, oh, that's just for special people. Or those for those who have a dramatic calling from God or a dramatic testimony, or they've been to seminary, or it can't be true of me, I've made too many mistakes. Oh, no. Whatever thoughts may be holding us back from, from seeing ourselves as chosen and appointed by God to bear fruit, may we be assured that's not the voice of Jesus. So may we together grow in resisting those lies that maybe we've we pondered and believed, but then may we together flourish in living in the fullness that Jesus has designed for each of us to be. Now, living in, the, in that design might come as a surprise to us along the way, so be ready for that. That is okay. So as it did, as it did with this one Crossroads member. So last year... In one of our services, uh, it was highlighted from the stage about the need for volunteers um, in the kids ministry. And one of our members said, well, they thought about it, but not very long. That would be me, okay? And so then a few months later, uh, he saw Aslan Carter out getting coffee after the service, and he noticed that she was just dressed really casually, so they approached, approached Aslan and, and just said, how come you're dressed that way? So, said, well, I'm working in kids' church today. Kids' church, huh? Huh. And, but then he thought, then he said, see you later. And then he just left and walked and went out to, to the exit, out to his car. And then the thought came, kids' church. Hmm. He turned around, came back in the doors. And uh, went and found Aslan. <clears throat> And, uh, and then said, uh, is there something I can be helpful with in kids' church? And she said, follow me. <laughs> Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? <clears throat> and so they walked back there. And uh, as I introduced her to some folks, he got signed up. He started shadowing one of the teachers. Then after a background check and some training, he was put on the rotation of, 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 of teaching in kids' church. And then months later, had a conversation Uh, with somebody here and, you know, I said, you know what? Turns out I'm pretty good at relating with kids. I said, that's nothing I was trained for with my career. But sometimes God just wants us to be willing and present. That's a good word. Years ago, a friend of mine told me this. He said, Mark, 90% of following Jesus is showing up. How true. So this past November, we, on our Vision Sunday, uh, we, we took a, like a church health survey and, a, and an assessment kind of thing. And over 700 of you filled out this church health survey. And uh, our, our hope was accomplished just to gain a, a clearer picture of our body. One of the questions on the survey was about the frequency of serving in any capacity, and there's some very encouraging uh, statistics and numbers in that, with, with those questions, and uh, regarding serving both within crossroads, within the walls, as well as outside the walls. <clears throat> but one statistic was very intriguing, as, and we just appreciated your honesty with this. Uh, 232 people, or 32% of the participants, marked, I am interested in serving, but haven't found a good fit. Our hope and priority for all of us this coming year is that we want to come alongside those 232 people and many others to help them find their fit in being on God's mission. And so I'm part of a team that's developing a discovery experience to come alongside our body to help find our fit with God's mission. This discovery experience is to help all who want to find their best fit how to use your gifts in whatever significant ways that might be. So in the upcoming weeks, we're going to be having some pilot groups or test groups just to kind of get good feedback as we're kind of of designing this experience so we can be the most effective possible. But you do not need to wait until we have this discovery experience. All you need to do is simply try something, experiment, step into something, whatever that, that might be. And, uh, And so we just encourage you to to view any serving opportunity you do just as like a test lab, you know, to see and and then for you to safely explore your calling and your purpose, whether those opportunities are inside the walls of Crossroads or outside. Now I just want to just mention a few things like, you know, put me in, coach. Let's go. Let's let's get moving here. But here's a few things you can consider. So one, you could join one or two of our upcoming medical mission trips, uh, teams to go to Peru and to Colombia. And, but you don't have to even be a medical professional to do those. You know, if you simply want to, you know, just to serve, which they need people for that, and just to learn in a cross-cultural experience, that'd be great. Or, you know, to, you know uh, today at 11 o'clock, just following this service in the Connection Center, that glassed-in room there, uh, there's going to be one of those awkward conversation things you've probably seen maybe on the screens, and this is going to be about how to have conversations with people in crisis. Oh, man, that's practical stuff we can learn. Or another example would be that you could join, a, uh, you, you could kind of help step into coming alongside families within Crossroads in two different kind of categories. One would be f- our, our, our families that have foster children, their foster families. And another is families that, 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 that have uh, children with special needs within them. These families just need people to come alongside them in practical ways. That is, that many of us could do in this room. And so I'd encourage you to consider what some of those things to step into to truly then value them as our, our body in some special ways. And then, lastly, then, as I talked about Kent earlier, that, that, that engineer, if you want to kind of have, have um, to grow in and kind of see more of your work being on purpose with God, no matter what it is, the last Sunday of of March, we're going to have another Mission to Monday uh, little workshop seminar at 11 o'clock. You can come and join that. You'll be hearing more about those details in the upcoming weeks. So those are some opportunities that are, are just here and available for us out of, the, out of the, the batter's box right now. So with that then, if you want to talk with someone about uh, the potential ways you can engage in God's mission, whether it's inside or outside of the walls of Crossroads— or if you'd like to receive more information about being in one of our upcoming Discovery Experience pilot groups, you can choose one of two options. Now, so one, you can either take out your phones right now and snag that QR code on the screen, or you can go to cccgo.com info later on. Either one will take you directly to a form that you, can, that you can fill out, and then someone will connect with you in a couple of days. And then you then can learn more about potential ways you can engage in God's mission, as well as participating in discovery experience pilot groups. Number two, or if you would like just to speak with a human today, ha, how about that? And uh, we have friendly and informed humans just to the left of the Connection Center desk. And they would be happy to talk with you about things both inside the walls of Crossroads and outside as far as opportunities go. And so they'd be happy to talk with you. So we encourage you to take one of those steps this morning in one way or another. So with that then, back to that earlier conversation with a coffee with a friend, what's our purpose in life? Every season of life, we need to, to consider that question. And I, you can be confident that as you draw near to God with that question, as you draw near to God and growing and abiding, he will draw near to you, as James 4 is very clear about. God wants to walk with you on this, in this journey. So in closing, I just want to speak a prayer over, over us, with us, that was taken from the Lectio 365 app. So let's pray. Father, Help us to live this day to the full, being true to you in every way. Jesus, help us to give ourselves away to others, being kind to everyone we meet. Spirit, help us to love the lost, proclaiming Christ in all we do and say. Amen.